welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is me, Will, your host. I hope you've been doing well. Um, we've got Beth Nielsen Chapman on the show this weekend. This weekend. Jesus Christ, would you listen to me? This is why you don't record at a quarter to ten uh, at night when you're absolutely shattered. Hey, man, are you doing a professional podcast? Uh, you really shouldn't be doing that. You know, if you really want extra followers, this is how you do it, okay? Oh, my God. Okay, so listen up, guys. Beth Nielsen Chapman, she is an absolute angel. She's a sweetheart. She's a, a songwriter extraordinaire from back in the day all the way up to now. She's got some great stuff on Spotify. I suggest you check it out. It's kind of like a mixture of contemporary country to like sort of uh, soft rock, that kind of thing. She's an absolute sweetheart. Uh, if you've listened to the Bob Harris conversation, then her name comes up. If you haven't listened to the Bob Harris conversation, I suggest you do. It's a it's a freaking good one. Um, but Beth, yes, she has a, a Christmas single out at the moment, which is it's pretty goddamn funny. As Christmas uh, singles go, I, this is bearable. This is really good. I actually really enjoy this one. It's called "Please Tell Please Tell Santa Claus." Where can you listen to that? You can listen to that on Spotify, and it's fun. You know, it's not it's nothing too serious. And it's just check it out, okay? Just just do me a favor, okay? She asked me to do it. I'm plugging it. So just fucking listen to it. And it's on her website as well, bethnielsenchapman.com. It's it's a good website. It's got everything on there. God, she does a lot, let me tell you. Wow, she does a lot. But yeah, I hope you've been well. It's been a mad old freaking head fuck of a week for me. Baggy trousers, madness. Jesus Christ. What the hell is that song all about? What the fuck is that band all about? You know, baggy trousers, baggy just, I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, you, you could take any number of inane bullshit uh, absolute radio songs. Brian Adams, Summer of 69. Okay, that's a bad example. It's a great, great, fuck it. That bad example. But like Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi and all that horse shit. You could take all those kind of crap songs that literally absolutely played play for like 30 years. You could pack it down and and package it into one cheesiest shit song and I'd listen to it straight for a week but I can't take one more baggy trousers baggy trousers baggy trousers what the fuck is that song what is that band what are they doing they sicken me sugs fugs whatever his goddamn name is oh god grim grim gross vile you know, cleanse your palate with some Beth Nielsen Chapman or whatever you need to do, but just, God, that song. Anyway, I'm going to go now because I'm trying to keep this shit under five minutes because it's a long one this week. But if you do want to hit me up on uh, Twitter, God, am I just pivoting from ranting about baggy trousers onto Twitter? Crikey. Hey, if you want to check me out on Twitter, please do. At LimehousePod. At Limehouse Pod. Hey, are you on Instagram? Oh, that's just beautiful. The Limehouse Pod on Instagram. Okay, then. All right. Now, hey, the holidays are coming. That means you're going to have some downtime. Why not check out my short movie called The Name? Where can you watch it? I don't know. I do. Let me tell you. Some days are diamonds.co.uk. That's right, somedaysardiamonds.co.uk. That's where you can check out the name, the short film brought to you by me, Willie, Will, Will, Will McWillie, Willie. 
Christ. Am I fucking cynical? Yes, I am. Fucking watch that film. I don't think anyone's going to watch that film, but it's fun. I'll tell you what, it's more fun than. It's more fun than watching penalty decisions in the Premier League at the moment where a, a, a freaking breath of fresh air go, makes a player go down and they go to VAR and then they can't even get it right. God, he's ranting about football. He's ranting about football, everybody. What would you rather me rant about? Cricket? <sighs> Your wife taking a shit in the morning and it smells so bad you can't believe that you like are living in the like the actual world? God, Jesus Christ. Anyway, look after yourselves, guys. Don't move. Don't ever move house. You'll want to kill yourself. It's that stressful. Merry Christmas. Watch Die Hard. It's the best Christmas movie that's ever been made. Okay, see you on Twitter. At LimehousePod. See you on Instagram. Bye. Good, good, good riddance. That's what I say. That's some feedback. There we go. All right. Sorry. Oh, hey. You know what that I realized? Some... I had my studio set up to do a vocal and I forgot to yeah. change some parameters for um, for speaking. <laughs> wow. So, sorry. Okay. I hope your ears are okay. okay? They're, they're fine. That was like a cool kind of like, um, <laughs> I don't know, firework <laughs> of music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was not supposed that was to something. happen. So. Oh. <laughs> One second. This is Ray Kennedy. He's <clears throat> he's uh he's my producer. One second. Hey Ray. Sorry about that. You know That's the legendary right. Ray Kennedy. I was gonna I was gonna say okay. You always pick up for the legendary get, Ray Kennedy. Get him on get him on the <laughs> podcast, man. <laughs> I'm getting ready to put out my Christmas single. Have I sent you that yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's really funny. It's very it's funny. Very so cool. it's getting ready. And BBC yeah. was choking on the size file that we were giving. Oh, really? To, you know, because we're not, we don't want to send them an MP3 because they sound awful. You know, you go to all that trouble to make a great record and then you go squishing it down into this tiny little thing. So, For sure. anyway, yeah. hi, William. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Beth. Do you go by William? I go by William. William. It sounds so different when um, um, Americans say it. Um, William. William, William, William. <laughs> Uno. Uh, but 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 I don't know. It just sad. it's kind of weird. It, I I guess people call me Will, really. But I kind of like William. It's like I'm uh, prattling on about my name now. God, <laughs> like, this is when people tune out, isn't it? Oh, no, and he's talking You're about good. his name. You're good. Yeah. Um, but what about you? How the heck are you? Beth? I'm good. I mean, you know, 2020 can just kiss my ass. But other than that, <laughs> frankly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, America's gone completely tits up if you pardon my english expression no no it's a wonderful america it's has gone expression. and lost its mind i mean people are i actually saw a news report yeah. today people who are coming in with extreme you know distress can't breathe they have covid they're testing positive and the nurses and the doctors are saying you have covid you know you might have to get on a ventilator and they're saying uh-uh, no, there's no such thing as COVID. It's something else. It's probably pneumonia or something. And they're like, you want to call your family? Because you want to call your family right now. You want to get them on FaceTime? And they're like, no, I'm not going to die. I don't have COVID. This is all, you know, like there's this weird collective men mental illness that's just nuts. Grips you know? the nation. 
Oh, and you guys are still really in a dire straits, aren't you? You're still oh. losing thousands of people a day. Uh, well, we're, 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 you know, the death rate is not as bad, but the, uh, the, the positive testing positive is just like 190,000 people the other day. In, in one, one day. day? Yeah. In one yeah. day? Yeah. Jesus. I mean, I forget. We're not even close into... to anywhere else in the world. It's just yeah. crazy. God almighty. I was like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know where to begin because on the one hand, you're getting rid of the um, the monster in charge, the monster in chief. Thank God. Thank and, God. But he and, still won't leave and he won't concede. And he's causing all kinds of he's he's like a baby trying to make the most damage before he gets out of the pram, you know. And he's oh, sure, today yeah. he just decided he's going to take all the troops out of Afghanistan or somewhere where we are. Is it Iraq? Anyway. It's going to just be like, hello, Taliban, why don't you set up shop again? Because we're leaving and it's all to, it's all to mess there? with Biden. It's all to make Biden's job harder. He's just like, how can I mess up America so mm. bad that this guy's going to have an impossible job and we're all going to go anyway? I just wonder whether or not that's even possible for him to do some stuff stuff like that get it through he's doing congress it. get it through the senate no you don't you like, don't get just, it. you know he has executive power he has a lot of power he can do a lot of damage just by himself like he can decide he's the head of the military he can say i'm the commander-in-chief and everybody needs to go to spain now and and shoot people <laughs> i mean they won't right. do it but i think it's well, time to bring a straight jacket and a bunch of guys in white coats and just get the guy some help you know right god i mean it there's 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 a first time for everything you know there is there's always that opportunity for yeah. for the for the for the boys in white to come in and just go hey don big don come yeah. on dude let's now all that freaking... said um i don't know if we're recording yet or if we started we are we are because otherwise okay, well, i forget to record well the main bad. thing <laughs> that i don't want to do is everything i just shared with you about my political thing i would say it slightly differently if it's on the record only yeah, because, yeah, for sure. Um, there's so much. Let me. I can start over and answer the question again from the. From, and you'll get the can, same answer. I'm really worried about America. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think the the that it's very important to get Trump out of there. And um, mm. I think it's very dangerous. You know what's happening. And and I'm I'm mostly completely bewildered by the people around him that don't seem to understand that he's not well you know that he needs to go and um well they're know. all feeding off his teat right the teat of power right they're all just clutching on no i mean the, few he's he's kind of a lame duck now he doesn't really have much power so i don't i think that they're just they're looking at how many people did vote for him which is also a little frightening you know because i feel Terrifying. like they're i feel like they're good people that have been believing in a lot of misinformation and they would probably tell you that I'm believing in misinformation. So there's a real bunch of right. chaos going on here. So oh, what I try to do as an artist, and I have posted some things that are kind of opinionated about, you know, where <laughs> I feel on this. Not as bad as some other artists, but I have had some fans, you know, go, please just shut up and sing and, you know, that kind of thing. And I always say, well, sure, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I am a singer and I'm a songwriter. But I'm also a mom and a sister and a wife and a mother. Yeah. And, you know, I just feel like these are humanitarian. My my comments are humanitarian, you know. I'm yeah, really... but Beth, what were, what were people doing in the freaking 60s? Like, for Christ's sake, people were 
getting you know either you know railing against the vietnam war or like people like writing songs like mm-hmm. neil young about mm-hmm. people who were getting shot and killed by the police on a university campus for christ's sake you you know people have to put their necks out if 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 the music the world of music doesn't start putting their neck out and right. going look man this guy's insane yeah. what we have become as a country is insane if, if people aren't going to it's like same with brexit over here if, if some musicians aren't going to hold their hands up and just go look yikes you know this is does feel a little xenophobic uh then when you know when when will they yeah. you know, look back in they'll look back in 50 years we'll look back in 50 years time and go God, you know what? The, the counterculture didn't never really came and never really happened, did it? Like they just basically everyone just sucked this shit up, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It, it's it is it is a different time and there there was a lot more simplicity around how to get music heard. And I can yeah. tell you, I know I know some amazing songs that are out right now that can't get any traction because the way that the music business has dissipated and you know it's it's a different world. There's streaming and there's millions of people and everybody can stick their song up on Spotify, but you can't find the ones. There's a, a songwriter who just wrote a song. I'll send you a couple of links if you want to check it out. There's a guy named Dave Berg who wrote a, an amazing mm-hmm. song. And of course, I can't think of the name of it because I'm trying to think of it, but <laughs> I'll send it to you. Yeah. And it's, it's really, um, it's an incredible time of, of many people writing and expressing artistically, you know, yeah. what they're, what they're going through but back in the day you know like in the 60s you only had like 10 artists that anybody was aware of there was like 10 artists and like bob dylan and Joni. you know there was these movements of and it was a small number of people that actually were visible or able to be heard and the record companies Mm. were you know you couldn't just put a record out on your own label and all that stuff is very different now so there's a din of artistic expression and there's just so much of it it's like walking yeah, it, in a grocery store and there's 25 aisles of cereal you know and you're like wow what was that i'm just looking for some here. <laughs> you know it's like yeah. not that hard but it is cool when like um bands artists do do rail against um what they perceive to be yeah. either uh, corrupt or essentially just broadly speaking incorrect within the music industry or wider i mean like petty tom petty massive fan of tom yeah, petty me blah too. blah blah me too. yeah i mean he 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 had that um a really great uh, last dj album and that was all about music yeah. industry and yeah. its uh, corruption and stuff and there's an um, artist uh, based in um michigan who i've done some shows with named may Earlywine. i don't know if you ever heard of her e r l you know may Earlywine. She just I put out really a single know. called For the Change, and I was aware of it because yeah. I sang some background vocals on it. And I just thought, Sweet. I love the song. It was really, kind of reminded me of early Van Morrison. It has a silver band okay. on it. It's a great record. Wow. I'll send you a link. And um, I sent it to Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt, uh, who's a good friend yeah. of mine. And I, I send her stuff. The thing I love about her is she is always excited to hear new music she's ne- she's never lost that she'll she'll call me and go, have you heard of this person and i'll be like wow or, or it'll be somebody i already knew about she goes how come i didn't know about it? why didn't you tell me so i i send her stuff uh not to pitch her to, to do anything with it just to say hey listen, listen to this so i sent her the song and she really loved it and she ended up putting a when it came out you know putting a you know making an announcement along with a, a roseanne cash song and another song about people writing music 
mm-hmm. of the times and saying we need more voices like this and you know she's one of those people that does that yeah and it was just an incredible thing you know because may just was so touched to have the recognition and just i mean who doesn't want bonnie Raitt to like your song <laughs> it's as good as it gets sure. right there so my god i know there is wow. this feeling of you know I, I here's what i tell my students you know i teach a lot of workshops and i have a lot of opportunity to talk to people who are trying to make their way and get to be better songwriters mm. and i always say you have to do your body of work just do your body of work you might make a living doing it you might not you know and there have been incredibly amazing bodies of work of artists that just didn't happen to be in sync with the times they were in like you take van gogh you know mm. he had decided hey, i'm not really on the charts here i think i'm gonna go do something else or nobody likes me so maybe i shouldn't do this he just did it and and that's what we have to do you have to write your songs and yeah. write your book and paint your painting while you're alive in your life because you're it you're the ceo yeah. of your life you're it nobody well, else can tell your story yeah and it's, and it's going to get to a time when you hit 40, like I'm getting damn close to that now. And you're like, I don't, you know, it's getting, it's not desperate. It's not like the the stakes are getting higher. I don't feel like that. I just feel like, um, and, and also I don't feel about age. And I, I don't feel like when I was in my late 20s, oh, I'm going to be too old soon. People aren't going to want to listen to a 30 year old. I don't believe in that anymore. Yeah. As much as I used You'll to. You'll believe in it less and less <laughs> as you Right, <laughs> because it's because the more you believe in that kind of shit, the less value you're going to give your life and yourself. And before you know it, you're spiraling to this pretty bleak place. But um, I just but turned no, 64 just, and I'm figuring stuff out for the first time. I'm like, oh, I get right. this now. Right. You only get better exactly. as long as your brain's working. It's all good. You know, you accumulate more knowledge as you go. So I think it's a funny thing because there is a, a thing in our cultures, all, all the Western cultures of, you know, uh, idolizing the youth which I believe also is very powerful because there's a voice in the youth that's different and it doesn't it's not weighed down with all the experience so it's very pure yeah just everybody it's like why why where does this age thing come from when I was younger obviously I was I'd look at people that were older than me uh, bands that were older than me but were way over the hill you know British <laughs> rock bands yeah and I was I'd get reprimanded and have the piss taken out of me on a daily basis for liking bands like Status Quo or Squeeze or the Kinks or whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's like we're, we are all songwriters. It's just this age thing has descended upon, you know, the validity of uh, and of, of that, you know, of, of songwriting. How old are you? I'm 25. Great. How old are you? I'm 45. Get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> what do you put the guitar down and... Go and have some, I don't know, some cigars or something. Well, I don't know, cigars, whatever old people do. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it does strike me that. And also to your point on the, on a body of work, that is quite interesting because you've, I mean, bloody hell, you've been writing for one or two, donkey one or two years. Donkey years, as they say. <laughs> yeah. donkeys, donkeys years, mate. And I learn something um, new every time I write a new song. The thing right. is, you know, you, you still start with a, blank piece of paper and Bob Dylan who gets up tomorrow morning and decides to write a song has to start with the same thing and Mm. then he has to work really hard not to pay attention to the giant catalog that's hanging over his head like a like a like a leaning tower of Pisa he has to not think about the fact that he wrote like a Rolling Stone and now what have you got for us Bob you can't like Mm. those voices are 
real and they stop the creative flow. So I have this whole mm. shtick I do when I teach my workshops, which is basically, first of all, to let people know that everybody has the exact same um, amount of creativity available to them. Yeah, It's just yeah. whether or not you open to it and whether or not you're in a place where you can learn how to dance with it. And it's actually something you can consciously learn how to do. And what I love about teaching is, especially having people in my class that are in their 60s or 50s, finding <laughs> out that they have permission to say something and that it would be interesting and that they're the only one that can say their story. So then they become kind of egotistical about it, which is good because you, you need a strong ego to get through all the rejection. <laughs> you try to put it out in the world. But there's this creative flow I think of as like, uh, I think of creativity is just oxygen in the room. And some of us breathe better. Some of us have better lung capacity. I use my creative flow relationship all the time and I have you know, adapted it over the years. I've gone through periods of time when I couldn't write anything and I thought it was gone forever. And then I realized, no, I'm just the, you know, if, if it's not flowing, the door is usually locked from the inside or you're distracted it's, by something else. Yeah, no, that is interesting because... Um... I, I don't know because I, I write songs and what have you, but I don't know whether um, when uh, I, my memory is awful. So I don't know when my best songwriting has been. I don't know whether, whether I'm unhappy, whether I'm more happy. I don't really know. And I don't know what the forces are that are entering in my life when I actually write something that I really, really like. And I don't give a shit about what other people think about my music because I think that's the, first, the most important thing. I think is just being like, do you like it? You know, but well, also, you know, um, to get into that to get engaged into that place where something will come through and it'll be really good or it'll, it'll be a clue or it'll be a, enough of a clue that you can work on it and grow it into a song to get into that place. It's actually, I mean, one of the things that I teach people to do is to start to understand that part of your job is to be comfortable not knowing what you're doing. Cause if you mm. don't know what you're doing, you're at the right address. Because if you're if you're right. playing your guitar and you don't know you don't know the next chord, you're just playing around. You're just you're digging around in the ether. That's golden, and you have to record it the whole time. That's what <laughs> another thing that people don't do. There's shit going down. There's stuff coming out of you. You don't even know it's any good because you're you're just like halfway there. And I mean, I know this. I know this from working with people, and they come back to me and they go, "Holy moly, I just thought it was a bunch of crap." And then I and I say, "Well, listen to the tape the next day." And see what happened and see where you flipped into that place that's in subconscious area, which is where all the good stuff is. There's a collective wisdom mm. field in consciousness where when you open to this creative flow and you're just playing, it's usually just playing around. You don't even know you're going to say you're not you don't even know you're going to mm. blurt out this kiss, this kiss. You don't even know you're going to say that, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I. I've I've had success with that, you know, and I've paid my light bill with it and stuff. But the big thing, the big thrill is is to actually like write something and go, wow, where did that come from? You know, I mean, I can imagine what it feels like to be Paul McCartney or somebody that gets to do it on a huge scale, you know? Oh, I mean, God, yeah. Well, like Tom Petty would be a prime example. I'm talking about Tom Petty loads at the moment. I've got so many chats lined up with people that are um have written about him and stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's, did it's you see the uh, have you been following lucinda she just did a whole album oh she just did a, God, a live she... concert of, of of tom petty songs oh shit no i saw the running down a dream uh she did and yeah. i oh my god it's on it's through this thing brilliant. called mandolin which is kind of like a way like a 
uh, yeah, streaming yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. And Ray Ray produced it, the Ray Kennedy who I was just talking to. Oh, there you there you go. God. So you're yeah, like such this close to Tom cult. Petty, you didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love like, Tom oh. Petty. I, I mean we we are we're on the same page and I got to yeah. write a couple of songs with Ben Montench who played in his band for many years and um and he is He's a prince. Brilliant, brilliant musician, Ben Mont. Ben Montench is a prince, and there's no other word for it. Yeah. He is such a goddamn legend, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he seems pretty cool. Is he a cool cat? He's really cool. I mean, he's just mm. understated and just, you know, he's as cool as yeah. cats get. Yeah, he's absolutely amazing. Yeah. But getting back because, to the thing we were talking about, that, that not yeah. knowing, you know, that um, when you say, well, I don't know whether or not, you know, I write because I'm this or that. And, it's like that's fine. You don't have to know. It's like it doesn't even. It does. It's not really. It's not really gonna make anything any different. But the, to keep the songs coming and to to play around in that, and then you, the first stuff you get is usually not formed. Or you know, every once in a while, you write a whole song. Boom, out through the hole in my head. Boom, there it is. <laughs> right, I love it when that yeah. happens. But a lot of the time, <laughs> I'll I'll throw some. I'll have the first draft and I'll think. And there's also this sort of big forgiving sort of period of time at the beginning of writing a song where I'm like, this is the best thing I ever wrote. Oh, my God, it's going to be so good. And I love everything about it. And I go to bed and I think I've written the biggest hit of my life. And I get up the next morning and I get some coffee <laughs> and I go back and I go, OK, yeah. All right. So All right. <laughs> we can work on this, you know, and I have to lower my expectations. And that's what when I critique a song, you know, somebody will play it for me and I'll I'll point out some things that, hey, this could be better, that could be better. And and then yeah. it's about, you know, there's the, the first blush of writing and then there's, at some point, you analyze what you wrote. And the mm. problem that a lot of writers have is that they get the analyzer guy way too involved in the first part. You can't have the analyze guy there. You just have yeah. to be playing around and throwing all the ideas out and capturing them. Uh, make sure you record it, write everything down, even the stupid sounding lines. And be really forgiving yeah. and then you go back you know then you do the analyzing and the editing and when you do that then you go oh god there's so much work the whole second verse has to be replaced and there's all this other crap i gotta do and you get over that <laughs> and you kind of like okay all right then you put on your big boy pants and you come back to the table and the way that you get you know one of the things i love to tell people to do is to like, let's say the first verse is great. Second verse could be better. So we're going to take that second verse right out of the song. We're going to put it over here on the imaginary altar of things that aren't going anywhere. That's <laughs> it's right there. It's not going anywhere. It's, you don't, you're not going to lose it. And, you know, they've got all my deities there and a candle and some innocence. And it's there. Now I have a <laughs> hole in my song. And if you actually take some of the lines out and, re and reprint the lyric sheet even so that you're looking at this hole, the thing about creative flow is it it loves a void it just comes right in and you'll get some better lines yeah. almost nine times out of ten you get better lines from doing that so it's it's yeah. back i never confuse editing with um with creating and creating always has to be childlike and fun so you can't just sit there and looking at your song and go, i gotta think of two think of two more lines i'm like don't think of it just start playing the song and blurt something out and that'll be on the way so that's my yeah. that's my uh synopsis <laughs> no it's great i just it's just interesting i think um songwriting oh my god I, I, it's it's pretty it's a wide uh, it's a big old open book isn't it in terms of like 
people's interpretations of it and it is it is work at the end of the day yeah but what um i guess it would be it would be pretty cool to talk about um you and your early years and where you grew up when music first came into your life like where i mean are you have you born raised in nashville or? oh no i was born in texas yeah. And pretty much every two years we moved because my dad was in the Air Force. So I lived in Texas and then we went to uh, New England and then we went to California and then we went back to New England. Then we went to Germany. Then we went to Alabama. And my family kind of ended up in Alabama. And just about the time I was starting high school. So I was probably 14 or something like that. So I've had a big dose of living in the South. But before that, mm-hmm. I was all over the place. And that had a huge okay. effect on my perspective and... um my musical, what I was exposed to was really vast, you know. So, of so course, what was on the radio? Then, I mean, back in, even back in everybody days. had this experience in the 60s. You know, you'd hear Judy yeah. Collins or, you know, Bob Dylan next to Bing Crosby. You know, like there, there was this beautiful melting pot of popular music that would just end up on the big radio stations. And Air Force Radio, which is like in, when we were stationed in Germany, that would be like top of the pops kind of stuff mixed in with yeah. top of the country charts top of the this that and they'd smoosh it all in there and then i was listening to my parents records from the time i can remember you know edie gourmet and robert grulet and on a clear day you know like those kind of frank sinatra (laughs) songs and then i was like um very drawn to uh, uh you know just every kind of musical genre and uh i remember being the first time i really got inoculated like i gotta do this was jumping on a bed in you know in germany and i think i might have been 10 or 11 or 12 i don't know what year it came out but penny lane came on the radio and i just went oh my god that's like that's my life right that that's my life you know i had to have a record player i had to have a you know had to have a i had to have the record and then you know from there it was just I, I just took ownership of my musical journey at that point. So was it about, because, um, uh, I mean, was it about sort of hearing that music for the first time and then going, right, I've got to play? Or was it just about the love of the music? It was just that? the love of music. I mean, I wasn't actually, yeah. I mean, I think I puttered around on piano. I didn't really start playing guitar till I was 11. So um, I was probably just picking up the guitar. And, and then we lived in Germany and I got this German guitar called a Framus and nothing was in english like the book was in german and you know and i had yeah. one of those little round things that you blow into and you can like tune the guitar and i tuned the guitar oh god i used to have one of those yeah they're like windpipes i had no idea what the chords mental. any chords i ended up you know i couldn't like google it because they didn't have google back then so i remember and they first didn't. of all the guitar was not mine it was given to my father for father's yeah. day and i went you know i i should probably keep this in my room <laughs> and i remember sitting in my closet <laughs> with a flashlight trying to like put my fingers down in places that sounded good. And I would, I was literally picking out chords, but I didn't know that that was a C. I called it like circle with a dot in the middle of it. You know, I had these well, symbols. Like Phoebe and friends, right? So Phoebe sad. and friends. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, in the next year or two, when I started meeting other musicians and then they were, they were doing the same chords and sometimes they had yeah. their fingers in a different place, but they were doing the same chords. And I thought, yeah, 
that chord right there, you know, that one you're playing, that one. And they're like, you mean the C? And I'm like, yeah, the C. I'm like, that's called the C. I didn't want them to know how incredibly <laughs> illiterate cool. I was. It's called Snail Quest. What are you talking about? That's not a C. So, that's the fucking whale oh under the God. sea. But yeah. I had a great ear and I, and I, I, you know, just picked everything out. And then yeah, I started writing songs amazing. almost immediately. And all my so first songs were, were anti-Vietnam War songs. <laughs> God, so what you were like twelve? Then? I was eleven like, and twelve. It was like yeah, the late sixties. Wow. We moved to we moved from we moved from Germany um, to Montgomery, Alabama, in nineteen sixty nine. Right in the hot spot of the civil rights mo movement. And what what happened to me psychically was that I mm. one of the last school field trips we went on. They thought it would be a good idea to take twelve year olds to Dachau. So we went to what? Yeah. Uh, we went to an, a concentration camp and I was so traumatized. I remember Shit. I missed like four days of school when I got home. My mother was furious. She's like, where did you go? She signed the permission slip. But she didn't really connect yeah. the dots. And I was like, I was lying on my side on my bed for four days. I couldn't, I couldn't oh my God. deal with what I'd seen. It really wrecked my, my faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> and I was God. terrified of the world. And I literally that after that, I was like putting away my Barbie dolls and I was going, what time does mm. the news come on? I was suddenly very concerned with what's happening now. And I wow, was, wow, that's a, that's a wake up. I woke up. My mom was like, you don't need to watch wow. the news. I'm like, yeah, no, I want to know what's happening. What's this Vietnam thing? And why are they spraying those people with hoses? My God, my God, this is like Nazi Germany all over again. So right. I was, I was activated at that point. And I was writing all these anti-war songs and just, you know, thank God for that thank guitar God. because I hung onto that thing like a life raft, you know, through the next 20 years. Well, that's how the guitar was seen, right? For years and years. Exactly. I just want to, I don't want to lose this, this thread. But just to say that the guitar was actually once seen as a freaking anti-government, anti-establishment you know, establishment symbol. Yeah. But just to say, like, you know, the, the Dachau thing's freaking insane because in, in, in recent times you could say kids turning on the TV uh, 20 years ago seeing the Twin Towers getting annihilated. Yeah. It's like yeah. a lot. I mean, the damage it's done psychically to people is um, it's just unbearable. But I can't. God, I'm so sorry about that for you because... I went to Sachsenhausen, which is a concentration camp in northern in north north of Berlin, uh -huh. and I, I I was like, you know, in my thirties, I found that deeply, deeply upsetting. Yeah. De yeah. Devastating. I mean, but not just because it is, not because you're meant to feel devastated and and traumatized by it. It's not like you know, you kind of when you go there, you you want almost a part of you is going. I kind of want that. Do you know what I mean? Like there's part. Well, of you I think it's going, important to to remember. Yeah. Obviously, and you know, the other thing is. Like we went, we moved in 1969. We moved to Montgomery, Alabama, which is like you know, they that's where all the bad stuff was really happening in the civil yeah. rights movement at that time. And and I remember starting ninth grade and walking into the lunchroom, and all the all the white people were on one side and the black people were on the other. And and they didn't. There was no law saying they couldn't sit together, but there was no. There was a lot of stuff still very separate, and I just was like completely i mean it threw me in over my head so i i literally wrote songs yeah. to to get myself through it and to and to deal with it and that started me on the life of writing songs to get through everything in my mm -hmm. life and my life went on to become pretty interesting and complex you know i 
with right. I, I lost my husband to cancer in 94 and i went through breast cancer and a brain tumor and all mm. the and like, all that's in the songs you know the songs were right. the vehicle to get through everything that's why i love teaching so much because people who who find out what a powerful outlet that is uh to write you know whether it's a song or a journaling or whatever that is that's one of the greatest ways that we can heal and and i and i just love sort of encouraging people to do that god absolutely but can i it's um i haven't really spoken to anyone really about um because it, it seems to me like you've, you're you're more of a billy bragg kind of um uh, person rather than you do you know who billy bragg is i know who he is but i haven't ever yeah. talked to him so i don't okay well he's he's yeah i mean like you know protesting or protest singers now because mm -hmm. he's like our closest thing to woody guthrie or yeah. whatever but he's great he, um, yeah he he's you know very he he i think has a vaguely similar story to yours in terms of like suddenly having the real world thrust upon him yeah uh, and you, you talk about dachau yeah. i'm just like um quite interested to what um segregation and 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 what that did to you in terms of informing you as your uh, in your importance to live your own life I mean like that living up living it sorry up living down in Alabama in that situation did you did any of the um not white privilege as such but not the white privilege but it was downright racism in 1969 it was it was right. completely brainwashed racism so my only friend mm. that I had in school that year uh was really you know she was from a family that was very racist and she in fact was kind of racist herself but mm. you know there was this weird thing that happened where i walked into the lunchroom and i thought i walked in with my tray and i thought i'm not going to sit with all these white people i want to show these people over here of color that i'm not that i'm different you know mm. which was super dumb and naive because never occurred to me that they didn't want me to sit with them the the people of right. color were like what's this white chick doing sitting at our table and honey you need to get your old butt over there because you're bothering us and i was i was so hurt i was like really i mean i just thought i just like you know, they're like what planet are you from you know so i was i had a lot to figure out <laughs> mm. and i remember this one girl coming over to me and saying come over here and eat you're going to have no friends in this school, girl, if you don't get over here right now, you know, and I, and I just thought, well, I don't want those friends. I, I hate people that are racist. I was way out of my league and, and it took a couple of years, but I just, every, every chance I got, you know, I would, um, I would just say, you know, what I thought. And I, I didn't have a lot of friends for a couple of years. Therefore yeah. I played my guitar a lot more, but, um, yeah. but that's okay. You know, and, and, and now here, here's what's amazing is now, uh, I went home recently and, um, there's a new museum that just opened up in the last year and it's the lynching museum in Montgomery, Alabama, a couple of miles from where my mama lives. And it is wow. unbelievable. It is, it is so moving. They have all of the records of all the people that were lynched, like detailed, and they have these, you can look it up online, it's brilliantly done. They're these God. giant metal, it looks like the size of a coffin, these giant metal things that are hanging and you walk along and you're walking under them and, and then you go inside and there's this huge wall with these giant gallon jars of dirt. And the dirt is because there was never a body but they had a record the family kept records and they had records of entertain they did this for entertainment they would they would have like 
It'd be like a show, like we're gonna hang three people, you know, and they'd have families and food and they'd have crowds and they would just lynch these people, you know, this happened, you know, for decades. And so this is like the, the, the comeuppance of that whole thing. And I think it's one of the most mm. wonderful things for me to go back to Montgomery and see that not only that it, that it's so well done, but that they got past all the people that might've been like, no, oh, I don't think we want to do that. Those people are dying yeah. out. I mean, we are still so far from from healed. I mean, racism is rampant in a whole mm. different way right now. But somebody's given them a license to be a little yeah. more racist. Yeah. But I, I do believe I believe most humans, when they're given the opportunity to see, they can transcend the hatred that they get filled with. And I I have a lot of hope for people. And that's why, you know, I have friends and even people in my family that I've had these conversations with all through the Trump years. Um, they're watching a different channel than I am, and they are convinced right. that I'm brainwashed and that I'm yeah. listening to this fake news. And I and I believe that they're brainwashed. And I, I start and end my conversations with them by saying, I love you and I hope mm. you get well back, you know, soon. Um, but yeah, we have right, to stay sure. connected with people. and. You know, the, the kind of songs that I write aren't usually like a Bob Dylan protest song, but I will write a song like I wrote a song called How We Love, which is one of Bob Harris's favorites, by the way. And it's <laughs> it's basically saying, you know, there's that's it. When you get to the end of your life, the only thing that matters is how you have loved people and how you have not. And you don't take any of the other stuff with you, but you mm, do take the yeah. love, you know. So yeah. anyway, that that's um, it's it's defined my life in a lot of ways having had those early experiences but um for sure i mean so when did you find out you could write a song like when did that come along when did you think like i mean we could i don't like jump ahead too much but it did who bought you a guitar did your dad put well, down my dad got a guitar for something? father's day from my mom and i stole it basically <laughs> so and then you know writing songs was just something i did and i played at weddings and i was writing all kinds of songs and singing in little folk you know they had little folk groups and you know all these things any chance i got to get in front of a microphone you know i'd get up and sing a couple of songs and and then i got an opportunity uh there was a guy that had a studio in birmingham and i was with a little folk band and we went up there and he liked my songs and i thought oh my god he likes my songs and so i i signed a terrible contract with him uh, my oh, dad damn. had to co-sign it because I was 15. And I remember telling my dad I wanted to sign this contract. It's a five-year contract. It's an artist contract and a publishing contract. And I've, every weekend I was driving up there and sending my song, you know, dumping my songs in his studio. And I remember uh, my dad saying, well, you know, you're only 15. There's no rush. I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to sign it because in other words, he he's then going to get me a record deal. And anyway, my dad went and got a lawyer because uh, he didn't understand, he just wanted to make sure it was right. So, and and I always tell my students, I say, whenever you get offered your first publishing deal and you decide to get a lawyer, don't get a cattle lawyer, because <laughs> this guy who was a lovely guy and a friend of the family, he looked at this contract and he's going, "Well, Bob," because I'm sitting in his office and there are deer horns. I mean, uh, ho horns coming. Right. Out. Right. He looks okay. at this contract. He goes, "Well, Bob." I'm looking through this. Looks like he might get her a record deal. He might get her songs on the radio. And I <laughs> don't see anywhere where she has to pay any money. 
<laughs> yeah. So my dad went, oh, okay, I get it. So it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I think you can sign it. So I signed it. Yeah. He signed it. Uh, and three, two, two and a half years later, of course, nothing happened. And I was then given an opportunity in another band to do a proper album at Muscle Shoals with all the guys. Sweet. With, uh, hello. You know, Terry Woodford and all these great musicians. And we got halfway through cutting this album. And I hadn't even talked to that guy. I forgot all about that contract. You know, I was so naive. And yeah. I was halfway through cutting an album with this band called Harvest or, uh, yeah, Harvest. Harmony. Harmony. Yeah. Uh, it had both <laughs> names. So it was a it was a local band. I don't know if you want this much detail. But dude, I was, I was singing keep in keep I was coming. singing in bars in Montgomery, Alabama, and there was and I was actually underage, and uh, I started sneaking into this bowling alley, where there was this band. They, they were the hottest band in town, and Tommy Shaw was in the band, who ended up yeah. going to Sticks, and you know I used to sneak in there and I, I'd sit in and sing a song, and and anyway, Tommy Shaw got plucked out of the band by Sticks, and they called me and asked if I wanted to be take his place. And I'm like, I can't play electric guitar. And they go, well, we want you to be our Joni Mitchell. So I, that's how I ended okay. up in that band. And we ended up going to Muscle Shoals Sweet. because Mac McAnally came. And anyway, long story short, I get yeah. halfway through making this album and half of the album is my songs. And I'm like, I sort of make a comment to Terry about, man, this is so much better than the other thing I was doing with that guy. I signed this crazy contract with like four years, three years ago. And he goes, contract? Did you say you signed oh, a contract? God. And I was like, yeah, but it's like he didn't do anything. He goes, can you bring it to me? Can you bring me the contract? And I went, sure, I'll yeah. bring it next time I come. So I come in the next day and I have the contract. And he goes, he just looks, he's like looking through it. And he just put it down on the console and he put his head on his arms and he just put his head down on the console. Oh, and he said, I can't be recording you. This person owes, owns you lock, stock and barrel forever. You need to get Shit. a musician's lawyer and get this annulled. Uh, I can't, you can't even be in this studio. And I'm like, what? So I, I said, oh no, it's fine. I'll just call the guy. It's not a problem. He's gonna, he'll just rip it up. Of course he, he didn't. Oh yeah. So sure. long story short, <laughs> it took a couple of months. I got a, I got a proper music attorney. He sent the guy a letter yeah. and said, we're going to sue you and you're going to lose. In the meantime, he sold my contract to Screen Gems and they gave him $12,000 okay for my song so that oh. was the worst and the best thing that ever happened to me because right woke you up first of all I was like wow those are worth $12,000 like I gotta start taking okay. this stuff seriously I'm that good like somebody paid $12,000 for my songs I was like and then I was like wait a minute I don't get any of that like what and and the that was the price I paid but I got to be shifted over to a proper professional uh, mm. publishing company and they offered me a weekly salary and they signed me as a writer so mm. i was super happy to get out of that first deal so god how many i mean how many artists honestly beth have all I, of them <laughs> it, it, it's a right it's a it's a rite of passage for it goodness is. sake it's a, have any, you done that you've done a few of those right Oh, bad. I've done 20. I'm already in 20 <laughs> different contracts, Beth, but I'm lazy. So I'm just happy to just be shafted, to be honest, you know. And and when I decide to, you know, go to Mojo or The Enemy or Rolling Stone and talk about it, I'll just probably make loads of money on my story, <laughs> to be honest. So it's all going to Well, you be can fine. write a tell-all book. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, love listening to your yeah. interview with Bob Harris, by the way. 
Oh, thank you. It yeah, Bob's really uh, Bob's is Jesus. He's and I love when you were talking there. about when you would when you were you know performing and he you know you you intersected with him back in the day. So it's great. God, that that was a funny story. God, <laughs> that was oh great. man, that was so strange. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a dude. He supports he supports everyone. Yeah, he's such a sweet man. But um, but yeah, and it's really it's really cool um, getting this story from you because I what I don't what I like is not knowing an awful lot about you. Yeah, um, and it's kind of like the idea of a, a little Beth um, having to fight a lawyer, <laughs> find a lawyer, and then fight. At what? How old would you have been? Like twenty or something? I was probably nineteen or. 20 Jesus. when when I got signed I'm... to Screen Gems and then uh, maybe 21 or maybe 21 by the time all the stuff went through because it took a little while and then I and then I got married like right around the same mm. time I signed with Screen Gems and then Screen Gems helped me to get an album deal with Barry Beckett who did my first album on Capitol Records so within about oh, a year and a half I was making a record on a major label with a legend and my my new husband's favorite artist was Bob Dylan, and in fact, he I I just got a total Bob Dylan education because I was way into Joni Mitchell and all the girl singers, and I thought, wow, you know, Bob Dylan really like the deep deep cuts of Bob Dylan. And I remember uh, when I went to stay, I went to do my album. I stayed at Barry's house, and he had this incredibly beautiful guest room with a fireplace in it and a jacuzzi i mean it was like it he would invite the artists to come and stay at his house when he was working with them and bob yeah. had stayed there before me <laughs> <laughs> and i remember walking in there and this is back when i smoked i mean i smoked cigarettes back then and i remember seeing a a, a cigarette like half smoked in the ashtray and i and i like lit the cigarette and called my husband and said yeah i'm just lying in bed here at Barry's house smoking the rest of Bob Dylan's cigarette just to make you really <laughs> jealous but he was jealous that I was you know that close to Bob Dylan not that I was you know because Bob was long uh, yeah for sure oh my god that's <laughs> it's oh, really that's crazy a... but um and making that record was just amazing you know and it came yeah. out literally at the same time as Disco Duck like the day of like, the release was the same day that Disco what, went what year, what year are we talking here 1980s 90, bang on the 80. That's a hell of a year for music because people always kind of think, oh, 1980, they just think, think synth, right? And it's just the, yeah. uh, you know, it's the early 80s is still, there's, you know, they've got crossover bands happening all the time. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it, like it, it, it was like torpedoes then. Yeah. The, 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 the song, the singer songwriter thing was really hard to push within a pretty quick window of time that right when my record yeah. came out. So, nothing really happened and I didn't have a manager and I didn't know what you do next. I, w I just kind of right. hung out in Mobile waiting for my phone to ring and then yeah. nothing happened. And I just thought, okay, the world has just said no thanks. And I went through the probably the biggest depletion of my energy and my hope and my sense mm. of who I was as an artist evaporated. And I often that's a dangerous place to be. Right? Oh, yeah. No, I just thought I, I've been I've been kidding myself all this time. You know, I've had nothing but milk and honey poured over my head and people telling me how great I am. Well, there it is. There's my work and nobody cares. Nobody's. And of course, I didn't understand that it takes a whole lot more than just putting an album out. It takes a lot of teamwork and managers and a tour and publicity and. I didn't know that. And I just took it all personally. And I just said to myself, 
okay, that's it. I'm done. The world doesn't want me. Screw the world. I'm going to just do something else. I think I'll have a baby. And I got pregnant. <laughs> and my husband, wow, okay. who had Step. been really wow. my champion, my husband, Ernest, had been like, no, you got to keep writing. I'm like, nope, I don't. I'm not writing anymore. I'm done. So they you had their chance. You were, you were sulking big time. I was sulking. Yeah. For like almost three years, I didn't write a song. Shit. That's a huge sulk, man. But then yeah. you've got a baby, so it's I had a baby. Like, I was a, like, "Hey, man, I've got a ba- I'm doing homemade baby biscuits. I am doing art projects in his room. I've got a hanging mobile that was. I am totally rocking sculpting Play-Doh heads. I mean, I got all into stuff <laughs> that was yeah. not writing. I was like, not going to write a song, but everything else, like creativity, was coming out sideways. You know, I had all these creepy yeah. little. Plato heads all over the house and my husband's like watching me going oh boy we got to get her back on the she's <laughs> having a breakdown he was yeah. like he got <laughs> so worried about like i was never going to write again and i was not a fun person to be around when i wasn't writing songs so i remember so i went years, to wow. see coal miner's daughter did you ever see that movie about loretta lynn's life oh my god that really rings a bell it's a well, great probably, movie I, reckon, I think i've seen that and then yeah. just parked it yeah. So I'm 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 watching. I went to the movies to see you know Coal Miner's Daughter, and there's and I was crying through this whole movie because I'm seeing her struggling and marrying Do, and then she has all these babies, and she's trying to write songs, and she's literally planting vegetables in her garden so her family doesn't starve, right. with kids crawling all over her, and she's writing the pill. You know, she's <laughs> she's like right. writing a hit song, and I realized it was like this light bulb that went off, and I thought. Oh my God, I'm being such a baby about this. I need to write songs. Like, I don't have to, I just write them for me, for me you know, like I, mm, I can write songs yeah. and have a baby. And so I went back to work and and I I just decided I was gonna write songs because I'm a songwriter. I wasn't gonna worry about mm. the music business. I was not gonna write for the world. I was not gonna try to get on the charts. And I had to go through about a six month period of rebuilding my writing muscle because you lose it. Mm. Yeah, and, I, absolutely. and I would play these songs for my husband, who was a poet and he was a writer, not a songwriter. But he, he would, I would play these uh, horrible songs because now I was listening to country music because I was all into Loretta. So I was like, I'm going to write me a Loretta Lynn hit. And I, I like, what about this one? And it'd be like something, some horrible, awful country, wannabe country song. And he, right. he was so good. He was like, okay, yeah, you just, you know what? You keep writing. That's what I got to say about that song. You just keep on writing. This, we're going to put it right here, and you just keep on writing. <laughs> and that went on for like so, several months. Uh, and then yeah. I wrote this song called Five Minutes. Yeah. And I played him that song. He went, you're back. You are back. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. I am. He goes, that is a number one hit song. Oh, what a lovely guy. That's a number one hit song. And I was like, Really? He goes, yeah, bring me two more like that. And I wrote like two or three more because I was now I was like, I got it back, you know, and then they started getting better. And then when I had like four songs that he thought were strong, he said, now we're going to send a tape to Nashville because now my my producer, Barry, had moved to Nashville. Yeah. And there was lots going on. It was the urban cowboy thing. And it was like and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not writing these to send to Nashville. They had their chance. I'm not doing that again. I'm just writing because I like to write. And now I'm, you know, singing in bars to make a little money. And I'd throw in my little songs. 
that I wrote that people would like them. And I'm happy. I have a baby. I have a happy marriage. I live in a nice house. I'm good, you know, and I'm now I'm yeah. writing and I'm having fun. So I kept writing and he started getting really annoying about this. He started getting like, <laughs> you're missing your blah, 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 you know, and I would just not talk about it. So at this time, I had a two year gig at, yeah. in an open air lounge in uh, the Riverview Plaza Hotel. Yeah. Which is where all the bands would stay when they came to town to play the big bands. So I was rocking along for months and then the Beach Boys happened to be in town. And I was up there in my little perch on the second level seeing the Beach Boys downstairs coming in with their luggage and their team and watching them go up and down the elevators. And I thought, oh my God, the Beach Boys are here. And I kept singing, you know, and there was nobody in the lounge that day and it was sort of boring. I was like, God, I wish I could hurry up and get done so I could go see if I can meet a beach boy on my way out. Sure, there was yeah. this one guy sitting in front of me and he kept saying, and I'd like play, I'd play a song and he goes, did you write that? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote that. And he goes, play something else you wrote. And I was like, oh, all right. You know, thinking, I wish this guy would leave. Cause if he leaves, then I can get off early, you know? Right. Yeah. But I was yeah. not being really friendly to him. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, <laughs> he's sitting there. <laughs> he's like, this guy's sitting there and he, and I, so I end my set and, I'm hoping he's going to leave so I don't have to play another set. And he comes up to me and he goes, two things. One, your speakers are out of phase. And I'm like, I don't even know what phase is. You know, I got to go, dude. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, fucking Brian Wilson. Over I don't there. even know Get what. Hell out of my way. And he goes, yeah. and two, uh, you've played two songs that you wrote that are hits. They're hits. I promise you. So I'm telling you, move to Nashville or L.A. or New York. You cannot stay here. You are a hit songwriter. And I'm like. Okay, and who, and you are, and he goes, I'm the guy that wrote, I write the songs. And I'm like, what? And he goes, I wrote, I write the songs. And I'm like, this guy's like crazy, you know. <laughs> That's a Barry Manilow song. He goes, yes, I know. <laughs> and he goes, and I'm also Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys. I play keyboards with the Beach Boys. And I'm like, huh, huh, what, what? You're a Beach Boy? I mean, oh my God. You know, and I go, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> So now I was like, and you think I wrote good songs? Yep. And you got to move to Nashville or LA or New York. Just do not stay in this little town. And I remember mm, going sure home and just waking up my husband and going, we're moving to Nashville because the Beach Boys <laughs> think I'm good, you know? And he was like, I've been telling you that for six months. I've been telling you that, what you know. He was too close though, man. You need someone yeah, from outside. So you know, uh, these are professionals so anyway that got yeah. me off my ass and that that's that's a pretty good thing to get you uh, you know up and going right because it's it's a very interesting thing just to go back to the beginning when we were talking about writing and and having a bit of self-belief and what have you yeah it is it is it is very interesting to see why people don't go for it like and that's not just songwriting that's everything in life why people just don't go for what there isn't like live yes, there I know. themselves I know. right that's this. what i love about teaching now because that's what mm. i feel like i'm i'm like a person who because of the experience that i had of feeling completely drained of hope i i got my mojo back and then i mm. i survived getting to nashville and going through all that rejection and that's like you'd have to talk to me for 15 hours to get through all that stuff but the mm. but the nutshell is that um, 
you can relight your own pilot light, no matter what your story is, that there's a way to mm. relight your own pilot light. Once you learn the art of relighting your own pilot light, then you're going to go through times when it gets blown out. I mean, it still does mm. for me, too. I go, oh, you know, that's so annoying. And then I, I go through this whole process of going, OK, I'm going to show up and I'm going to write again three times this week. And there's going to be for between here and here. And I'm going to show up in my space and I'm going to be not watching Netflix. I'm not going to be on the phone. I'm going to be <laughs> Present, ready right, for yeah. something to happen. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, instead of saying to myself, wow, that was a waste of time. Oh, man, I suck. I didn't come up with anything. I suck. Uh, all that crazy, stupid stuff. Now I'm like, I've sat here for an hour and a half. Nothing happened. And I have just worked out in the gym of creativity and I've just lifted like 3,000 pounds and I'm working right. on muscle and the muscle, I call it the show up muscle. That muscle is the difference between a great songwriter and a good, good occasional songwriter. A great songwriter knows that you have to show up and that it ain't always mm. fun. And you just go, well, sometimes I'm rocking and sometimes I'm not. And when I'm not rocking, I'm actually working harder and I'm getting stronger for not for not writing so i i look yeah. at those non-writing sessions as good day good day i had today i i, I yeah. stayed present and tomorrow i'm going to be driving to the grocery store and the whole second verse is going to come barreling through my head because i because i did my time here today yeah so what when did you like start right i mean because people i mean not people but some people might know you for co-writing um uh this kiss right yeah so how long did how how did that has it even happened? Like, how do you get into a situation where, hey, you know, my name's Beth, I'm a songwriter, <laughs> and this is like, how, how, what is that path? That, that for me, because people, it's, it's like seeing behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. You know, um, the Oz curtain. It's like some people go, uh, I don't know, who did this stuff with Amy Winehouse? Mark Ronson, right? Yeah. You know, that, that's well known. But then there are there are songs that you just go, oh, that was COVID. Like Mike Campbell fucking wrote Boys of Summer with Don for Don Henley or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, I did not. I didn't even know that until like about two months ago. Yeah, well, the songwriters it, credits are hard to find. You have to go looking for them, and that I hope hopefully will change. But um, this kiss was yeah. written with two other songwriters, one of which is yeah. Annie Roboff, with whom I've written probably the most big hits I've had. We've co-written together and. We wrote a big hit for Martina called Happy Girl, and she's had tons of hits as well, you know, with other writers, but she and I are best friends too. So she had this thing started with Robin Lerner, who she knew from LA, who's also a really great songwriter. And they had this thing, they had like the first verse kind of started. They didn't have any kind of chorus, but they had this, I can show you what they had. And I, and I remember her playing this little thing over and over, and I was like, you better quit playing that for me, because I'm... I'm getting ideas and she was just hanging out in my hotel room. I was shooting a cover for my sand and water album at the time. And, and she, she kept wanting to get me in on the song. And, and I said, well, you know, you're writing that with Robin. So you got to call Robin and see if it's okay before I'm, I don't want to get involved. She finally did because she's sitting there going, uh, like, uh, uh I don't want another heartbreak. Uh, so it had that little verse, it had most of the lines. And then it went to the chorus and it was like, It's the way you like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's ah, subliminal. Oh, no, 
Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's the way you love me. Sorry. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. Your critical kiss. Your critical kiss. And I was like, what do you mean your critical? Your critical kiss. Had all this great buildup. And then it was just da, 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 da. And, and I just was like, wow, you know, I don't even know what critical means. And, well, you know, it's critical to my <laughs> happiness. And like, yeah, but it could also be like you're criticizing me. You know, I don't right. like words that mean two things in a song. That makes me crazy. So yeah, yeah. all of a sudden I was like, no, you know, it's like, it just needs to be like, you know, like this kiss, this kiss kind of thing. You know, and I went, oh, yeah, 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 like that, you know, and, and that's how <laughs> stuff happens. You know, it's not yeah. they don't think it up. You you. You realize there needs to be a space with something better than what's there. And then yeah. if you just stay in this playful mode, and I, a lot of times I'll just sort of play my way up to the song where I don't know what happens next, and I'll go, bloody, bloody, blah, and it'll be something That's that, a good idea. Yeah, that, that's it works cool. great. It really yeah. does. I've, I've had experience with that before as well. It's almost born out of a little bit of, I know you're you're not frustrated songwriter. You have your, oh, you I can have be. your way. <laughs> But I, I, I mean, there are probably people out there. It's just like that f- sheer frustration. Go, you know, almost slamming the guitar against the wall or whatever, and they just come out with the chorus, what have you. But yeah. um, that's yeah. really cool. I, I really love that. That's really you painted such a great picture of how it how it comes about in in the um, the writing process. You know, and, and then writing with also, Annie, you know, she would just go to some chord like the bridge goes to a totally different chord structure. Yeah, you can kiss me in the mood. And, and after we got past the this kiss, this kiss. Where the three of us got together and we were just like bam 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 we wrote the bridge and the thing was done and we pitched mm. it to everyone and nobody would cut it yeah people think oh it was a hit so immediately faith hill cut the song no most of the time songs don't get cut right away most of the songs that i've had that have been number one hits were not cut right away um mm. we we pitched it to brandy we pitched it to Reba and the Judds and you you name it and then when it finally got recorded by Faith it was partly because we moved we moved the demo from being keyboard based to being guitar based and made it more country and we added steel guitar because mm. it's really a pop song you know structurally it's, yes. not, a, it's not a country yeah. song and then it and then Faith cut it and I and I got to sing background vocals on it and it was great and and then when it was song of the year you know I remember being at the ASCAP thing you know and some of these artists coming up to me going why didn't you pitch me that song i'm like we did you know like yeah. a year ago yeah you know? I so know. it's just I that, that's it gives you like a lot of freaking like gives you a lot of pleasure though knowing that hey you did have that opportunity mister well what know? gives me pleasure is knowing that a good song doesn't go out of style and that sometimes mm. it just isn't the right time slot for it and then, you know, that's why I get back to your body of work. So I have songwriters that come up to me and they go, I've just been writing for and I've got this many songs and nobody's cutting them and nobody ever did it. And I'm like, you know what? That little song, that that song that I played for Bruce Johnston in the little bar five minutes after I moved to Nashville, I had publishers fighting over that song. Then it didn't get cut. Everybody played it. Nobody cut it. Everybody heard it. Nobody cut it. Five years later, it was the the first number one single for Lori Morgan five years after I moved to Nashville. God. And the thing is that the, the thing that I'm excited about is that just because nobody's cutting your song doesn't mean it's not great. You don't have to give up yeah. on it, you know. Yeah, 
Well, that's such a sweet sentiment, isn't it? And you see, you know, it's a good. It's what it what what that is demonstrates very well is the importance of um, uh, Ernest, Ernest, your husband, late husband, sort of basically telling you to not give up, essentially. Well, you know, uh, he had to threaten to start smoking again unless I sent yeah. a tape to Nashville. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm like, God. I, that's that's a good threat, but I I am so sorry about your loss there because yeah. I know it's reasonably long time ago, but he sounded like a really beautiful person. He, and, he was uh, a he he was very beautiful, very intense, very brilliant. And my son yeah. has just turned forty; he's about your age, and he yeah, is a yeah. spitting image of him in so many ways. So yeah, yeah. And then I got remarried so, in 2011. I married a wonderful yeah. man, uh, Bob uh, Sherman, who's a psychologist, and. Uh, you know, I I, I remember thinking right now. I could never imagine getting married again. And one of the songs yeah. I wrote about that about falling in love again and being able to go there is this. You know, that when I introduce it, I say, you know, the heart is like an accordion; it just mm. keeps opening up new rooms. You don't have to lose any of the people that you loved before. They don't have to be kicked out to make room. They can stay right right where they are. So my love for Ernest has never had to leave the building. You know. And yeah. and my love for Bob is completely in a different world and a different plane of you mm. know my life and he couldn't be more different from Ernest. So I've had a learning yeah. curve for both big relationships of my life, big big relationships of my life. Well, that, it's it's interesting because my my mum had my mum lost her husband. She he he was fifty. They were both fifty. Um, and I think she's learned that as well. Now she's got a boyfriend and they've been together what six or seven years now. And I think she's learned that that accordion um, yeah. analogy is quite accurate, you yeah. know. And I think a lot of a lot of people would realise that after a few years, after many years, uh, and you, when you're ready to meet someone else, that that the room, the is, room appears. Your heart, yeah. The yeah. Ro- yeah, the heart makes room for it. Yeah. But um, so you have more than like, one kid, right? You have two kids. Or do no, you well, I've got one on the way. Oh. Yeah, Laura's Laura's pregnant. Oh, that's so exciting. She, we're, we're we're having a Jesus baby, so it's due on the twenty fifth of December. Oh so, man! So yeah, I it, remember my daughter in law saying, "I have two little grandsons. One is seven, and yeah. the other one is now just turning a year." And I remember her being very pregnant, saying she got a little teary at one point. And I said, "What's the matter?" She goes, "I'm just not sure how I'm gonna." I mean, I love Trey so much, you know, her son, her first son. She goes, "I don't know how I'm gonna." be able to love too. I mean, I could never imagine loving another child the way I love him. You know, I said, you won't love him yeah. the way you love him. You'll love him the way you love the other one. And there's room, yeah. you know, it's just an amazing thing. It is, it's, it's hard to contemplate actually, because what my, Laura and I was talking uh, before our chat about, um, I mean, God, you know, it's five weeks away or whatever, um, till she's full term and it's like, What's how do you feel about that? She's asking me. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. I didn't know how I felt about Pearl, our daughter, coming into the world in the first place. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's so it's, it's so less changing. alien. Yeah, yeah, it's less alien now because I've had one. But it's yeah, the second one that's going to hit me for six because I I I've been playing my guitar and doing this podcast. I think when this next one comes along, it's going to be like one of those two is going to have to make way. Do you know what I mean? There's no, I mean, oh God. Brutal. So how old is your first child? Uh, she's two, just over two years old, and she's really exercising that I'm going to be the most jealous psychopath in the world possible um, with her um, cousin, Freddie. So, oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> jealousy out, and kids. 
They work yeah, it out. It's insane. You know, my little but, grandson um, has been having a really rough time because he's seven and he's just, you know, this whole year has been really difficult. He's so sensitive and he feels all this tension and stress about the adults around him and, you know, gosh, all this yeah. stuff with masks and he can't go to school. And <clears throat> and he, the other day, he he's his little brother has just started becoming a little cuter and more like, okay. oh, you know, he started noticing, I can actually get these people to laugh if I do, oh, excuse me. Yeah. If I do some of these cute things, I can get these people to laugh. So <laughs> Trey is, he's like, so the other day he was just so, you know, and I was looking at him and I said, what's the matter? He goes, I just want, I just hate babies, okay? I hate babies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, I said, I, well, I, one day your little baby brother's going to be a kid and yeah. you're going to have lots of fun together and. So I before before we go, um, like I I think I I was made aware of your music um, a little while ago when I was watching Under the Apple Tree, which is the the series that Bob does Bob Harris does on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and I I think I'm I found one other artist called Kerry Watts um, that way as well, and she's a wonderful Scottish singer songwriter. She's fantastic. But it was come to mind that really that uh, really got got yeah. me. Um, what what is what's that song uh, about and and how did you how did you how did you come because that's a beautiful song man. i love that I love song that. well i wrote that but, with um with two writers actually graham Gouldman, who is yeah you know legend um mm. and um uh oh god wow like i'm blanking on his name oh Ke- dude kevin, we can we, we can kevin we can Montgomery. fixate on graham Gouldman. okay <laughs> okay, okay there you go well kevin and i were <laughs> hanging on for dear life but um yeah no <laughs> I love Graham. I've written quite a few songs with him now, thanks to Chris Difford and his song camp that I go to every year. Chris, possibly can. Chris Difford. Has yeah. he been on your show? I am. I am in contact with him. Hopefully, December. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, he's, he's good. A damn British legend. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and and he he does these amazing. You know, he brought he brings us all to this place like Downton Abbey. It's a place called Penard House. <laughs> It's like going to Downton oh, Abbey yeah, and you yeah, yeah. wake up in the morning, you're sitting next to Graham Goulden and you get to write with him that day. It's just incredible. So I, I just remember the come to mind. It's like, I mean, it's almost like the lyric could have been written in 2020 because it's just the in this world full of, you know, I, a lot of my songs are about that paradox. And uh, mm. one of the things actually Chris Difford's inspired the title because we were talking about writing and I said, well, when I get off the road, da, 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 I might have to stay in a couple of extra days. And um, if, uh, you know, if you're around, he goes, yeah, why don't you come, why don't you come to mine? Which is a very British thing to say. And I said, come to your what, you know, come to mine, come to mine. And I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, you know, come to my house. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I had not really heard that before. And I thought, I love that, come to mine. And I, and I remember, Mm the next day writing with Graham and I said you know what's that for what's that come to mind it's so it just sounds like I'm gonna put the kettle on and it's gonna be like you know biscuits and tea and snuggle so, on the sofa baby yeah so it's like this harbor of of someone that is just you want to hang out with so that's kind of the the core of what got me started on that idea for a song yeah of course I always write I the music that. first the music started coming out and then Graham is a musical genius, so we were he was throwing in all these really cool chords and yeah. we wrote it pretty fast in a day. It's it's an it's amazing how you put stick one chord yeah. in like you know, I'm doing like I don't know, G C A minor, D, blah blah <laughs> yeah. blah. And then someone will just put in this really weird like 
you know, crazy shaped chord Phoebe from Friends and you'll be like, oh my God, it's changed the complete landscape of this song and now I'm able to go here and do that and then, oh, yeah. wow, okay. I understand what this songwriting shit's all about. And, and oh, you know, I'm, I'm all about I'm all about a song being balanced and having structure and working within the world of itself. So, yeah. you know, but that often means, you know, you do verse, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. You know, there's a way that songs unfold, especially songs that are going to be commercial or, or popular. With Graham, I mean, I've written two songs now with him where there's only one verse. There's like, we, we yeah. do the chorus and then it's so catchy. We do this little turnaround and we come back to the chorus. I'm like, wait, that's against the rules. I'm like, we need a second verse. He goes, nah, you know, we don't. And he's, he's, <laughs> he's Graham Goldman. So I'm like, okay, whatever you're doing, I'm doing what you're doing. And I mean, he wrote some of the great <laughs> yeah. songs like, the things we do for love, the things we do for love. I mean, I studied that record. I studied all of his songs for the years. So. Um, so cool. I've got a new song coming out uh, that I wrote with him, yeah. uh, coming out on my new record that I'm doing with Ray. It's called All Around mm. the World, and it's uh, uh, and Ray Ken- and um, Kennedy. Uh, what's his name? The guy that wrote We Are the. Uh, I have to. I have to get his name. I I have this uh, folder where names and in your, go in and they then it's been deleted you, oh, from my hard drive. especially when you're under pressure to remember and it's the worst well it's actually yeah. it's uh, ever since i went i went through breast cancer back in 2000 and i had chemo yeah, I had, I had, like, that's awful bombardment yeah. of chemo and after that you know like if i if i'm trying to remember the name of someone the minute i start to try to remember it it's like this valve in my brain that dumps the folder with the names off my hard drive and then it has to get it has to rebuild it's the weirdest that's thing. interesting that's yeah. like yeah no no the, the knock-on effect of that trauma right yeah no i mean it, sure. it it's something i just live with and i mean yeah. it's no big deal i i'm fortunate to be here and to be healthy all these years later that was 20 years ago and i God, and i had a near my... miss with the brain tumor too which was like a Jeez. whole other story God, you and bob you and <laughs> bob should form a little freaking I know. club we got near we... escapes yeah we got we got a a few things to write about but you know with the brain tumor i didn't know i had it and i thought i was um it was the it was the last time i went through a period of time when i couldn't write about six months i couldn't write i could not write lyrics i couldn't figure out why and i literally started getting depressed it was about 2009 2008 2009 uh and i remember waking up one morning and i had this really loud like like a hum in my head it was so loud I couldn't hear pitch and I called my I called my oncologist I didn't know who else to call I said I don't know what's going on something's wrong with my head I hear this loud sound and and I'm disoriented I feel a little dizzy and he he sent me to a brain guy and they did an MRI and they came you know came and said you know and I'd been having so much trouble writing but it didn't didn't you know I didn't think anything of Click. it and and I remember mm. them telling me I had a brain tumor and it was yeah. pressing against my left frontal lobe, which is, you know, where the language center is. And he said, have you been having, having any trouble with language? Have you had trouble talking? And I'm like, no, I mean, well, yeah, actually, I haven't been able to write songs for six months. And they go, oh, yeah, you wouldn't be able to write songs with this. We're surprised you can talk. And I'm like, really? And like, yeah, this is going to have to come out. And I'm like, what? You know, and I was totally, no, 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 wait, no, I'm not due for anything. You know, my husband died. I've had breast cancer. Yeah. I kind of gave it the office. I don't think I'm due for anything. This can't be happening. Lucky for me, uh, it was caught early and they got it out and it was not malignant. But what was right. fascinating was that when I 
when I woke up from the surgery, I was really kind of out of it. And I remember my mom was sort of standing over me going, are you okay? And I, one of my, my eye was really swollen because they'd done all this on this side of my face. Yeah. And I remember the first thing I was aware of was like this weird kind of dream state that I was in. And I just saw these little camels coming over the sand dunes in the desert. And I thought, whoa, I'm on drugs. And then I realized, no, those are, those are syllables. No, wait, those are words. And they were letters walking. And it was the third verse to the song that I had been trying to finish for six months, perfectly oh written. And I was like, I was like, mom. And she goes, what do you need? What do you need? I said, I need you to get a pencil and write this down. <laughs> oh my God, that, that was, was mental. the craziest thing. So what I tell my students oh my is, all those months that I was showing up to write, the only reason I wasn't getting the language coming through was because I had a, a physical impediment. But creativity was alive and well, doing its job and delivering, but it couldn't get through this this thing that was functioning my brain in a different way so i i tell them i say can you imagine those lines of that song like stuck in the hall trying to get through the door and like looking at each other going you know she's usually pretty slow but this is ridiculous you know (laughs) i'm making a joke about it but that that is the first thing that comes to you when you wake up it is extraordinary what song was that for it's how we love it's the last verse of how we love and there you go and every time i would introduce the song i would tell this story and people to me, it's it's like, I mean, it was a terrible thing to go through. But to me, the good news is this creativity thing is constant. It's just there, you know, and we mm. can open up to it or or not. And in this case, I wanted to open up to it, but I couldn't. And I finished yeah. all the rest of the songs I've been trying to write. I finished them in like weeks. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. Like, because all the work, all the work had been done. I'd been showing up and going, I need this third verse to be wow. about something like, yeah, but nothing would come out of my mouth. You know, it was like they wouldn't form yeah. into words. It was amazing. So what, like, you literally just saw letters and, and you I had this weird kind of, you know, it was like coming out of anesthesia. Yeah. And I and I just remember thinking, that's that's what I want that line to say. That's, that's, what, I wrote that line. It was like I'd written it, but I couldn't claim it. I couldn't get it out through the door oh, that, you know that almost felt like it was coming from another world well that's where it comes like, from can't... i mean that's yeah, what i'm that's trying to weird. say the creativity is this yeah. incredible thing that doesn't have anything to do with us it's it's just there for us to use it's not it doesn't care whether it writes or it helps us write a song or not it's a, it's not going to interrupt mm. like if you're a person that constantly tells yourself you're not good enough or you don't have yeah. what it takes or all those things that we get told and we start to believe that yeah. shuts it right down so then yeah. you live your life and you don't ever write anything because you, not you, but, you know, like a person that doesn't have yeah, yeah, yeah. the sense that they can, they just perpetuate that by saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I said, you know, right. I can't actually takes up the real estate where you need nothing. You need nothing there. You don't that, need to say, I, I know I'm going to write a song. That also takes up space. So that thing where you try to, you know, give yourself this false hope that you don't really have. I'm, that doesn't work either. So there's a space mm. of nothing. And from the emptiness of nothing is where all this stuff comes through. That's where mm. writers get the first blush of great insp- inspiration. But you have to be willing to hear nothing and be yeah. and, and stay there, you know, like be comfortable hang with out that. there, hang out there, not yeah. knowing what's going to, you know, and you you've been yeah. a songwriter. So I bet you, you know, haven't, haven't you had yeah. that experience? 
Um, it's weird. Like I, I'm, I've had the song that I sent you that opens up the podcast. Um, there goes the summer. Yeah. I, 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 when I was in bands, I was endlessly writing. I never ever had a down, ever ever was always out there because I knew if I didn't, then there would be problems. I would become very depressed and anxious <laughs> right? and something weird would happen, right? Yeah. But Pearl comes along, I put the guitar down, everything stops, but I'm focusing on my, my wife and my kid. It's fine. And, and this podcast occasionally. Um, but but when lockdown happened, I was like, if I just don't do something that isn't podcast related or isn't family related, it, I think it's going to be good for me. And it's not going to sound great. I'm going to put a few crack crap microphones up around the around a drum kit and and see what happens. And my friend, who's a producer, he he polished it up a bit. So the version I sent you is 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 a lot better than the version I sent him. Oh my god, it was bad. But I was like, you know what? This isn't bad. Like I, this, this is just for shits and gigs, man. This is okay. Like I don't mind this. This is yeah a bit of fun. But um. It's just it's just funny because it makes you feel good. Yeah. Fundamentally, it, it, screw fame and fortune and all that. It just makes you feel good to be creative. Yeah, right? and the, the thing is, you put things in the world that other people can get stuff from. You know, and I, I, hmm. I mean, the worst reason to write is to try to save the world. I mean, I think the best writing comes from trying to save ourselves and trying yeah. to 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 get through our own lives and if we just do that in a very personal way with what we write then other people will see themselves in it thank you so much for your time oh, Beth. so much fun and you i look, look forward you look to... great man you look oh. a million dollars it's you know <laughs> well, I got it's my so good all lights. this, got my all this shit that's going on in your country in our country oh my God. yeah let's good. hope the next time we speak that we are uh in a better place you could be you could be gigging in london the next time i, I see know. you it could be quite exciting yeah <laughs> i have gigged in london so many times since 1990 yeah. when i first started coming over so i i yeah. hope it doesn't last too much longer that we can get back to back to playing yeah yeah <laughs> all right beth we'll all look right. after yourself work on that song thank you it's so really much good. okay i will i'll go care. i'll make my second and third draft tonight <laughs> all right sounds good Mwah. great talking to you night night you too Summer dancing